and welcome to episode 797 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Ben Lindbergh of 538, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Yo. Our book is on the front page of Baseball Prospectus. How'd that get there? Did you pull some strings? I didn't. Wow. It just happened. Just uh, just any, by chance. Any of our knowledge. Just might be totally <laughs> yeah, random. Just a randomly selected book. It's ours. Cool, though. Now, if you want to buy our book, you can click on this link at BP, and BP will probably get a few cents for yeah, that. Yeah, that's actually, that is probably now the best way to do it. That is the best way to distribute yeah, your dollars. Links to the Amazon page, but BP will get a tiny cut of that. And I assume pre-ordering helps us, not just because uh, it locks in the sale, but I assume that pre-ordering will convince our publisher uh, that things are going great. And uh, it might, I, I don't know, I've never done this, but it wouldn't surprise me if there was some benefit to pre-ordering uh, yeah. as far as marketing and uh, yeah. and distribution. Book books, sellers book sellers. it or something. Exactly. Yeah. So if right. you're going to buy, look, don't buy it if you don't want to. But <laughs> if you're going to buy it, uh, and I, I'm, I'm a huge believer in the idea that uh, every, every dollar you spend is a vote. Uh, you're voting every time you yes. spend money. Uh, you are voting for the world to be the way you want the world to be. And uh, so uh, if you want your, you know, whatever, $20 of, of uh, money that you're spending on your own uh, entertainment to have some tiny, 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 tiny extra little poll, uh, probably a pre-order helps. And a pre-order through BP, even better. Exactly. All right. Did you see the Buck Showalter quote about Target and Chris Davis? No. Uh, so he in the Baltimore Sun, or he he was doing a Q and A at a leadership conference, and he was talking about Chris Davis. Someone asked him about an update on Chris Davis, and he says, "I said to Chris last season, Chris, when you walk into a Target store, can you buy anything you want? Well, how much is enough? So that is the criterion. If you can buy anything in a Target store, then you no longer need to negotiate." because you have all the money you'll ever need. How expensive do you think the most expensive item at Target is? Uh, $4,500. Yeah, I'm trying to... you have any guesses about what it would be? I've been browsing Target's website for a few minutes. A TV? No, I don't think it's TV. I sorted by TV's highest prices. $2,800 is the most expensive TV. Okay, well TVs then I'm, gonna, now. I'm revising my answer to $2,800. <laughs> okay, we've got... Mountain bikes, most expensive mountain bike, twenty six hundred. Most expensive bed, we've got a canopy bed for twenty seven hundred. I'm on still sale winning from three thousand. I'm still winning. We've got gas grill, twenty five hundred. Yeah, come on, give it to me, uh, man. Give it to gold me. Mine. Gold mine, gold uh, mine. No outdoor furniture. Outdoor furniture is a huge, big ticket item at Target. Most expensive outdoor furniture. There is a 12-piece Cheslong set for $52.59.99. Chris Davis owns 30 of those. <laughs> every, yeah. every few days, he goes into Target and says, give me whatever the most expensive thing is, and he just keeps getting the same thing. <laughs> yeah, if he gets the $150 million, he could probably buy everything in a Target, though. Not just one item, but every item in a store. Yeah. $4,000 for a fire pit set. I'll keep browsing, see if I can come up with any other items that 
Chris Davis might have a tough time affording at Target. One time I uh, talked to Tori Hunter about this very thing, and he said that when you when you go <laughs> Target, <laughs> this very exact thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He it's weird because he guessed uh, he guessed a, a DVD of Pineapple Express. I'm like, no, Tori, have you ever been? <laughs> do you know what things cost? Have you ever been to a Target? It was very weird. Uh, no, he. Uh, uh, he said that when you have your chance to hit your 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 huge pay, like everybody basically gets one huge bite uh, free agency. You might get multiple free agencies, but and you'll have multiple stages in your career where you're richer than you ever imagined you would be. But you get one huge bite, and he says that you're thinking about you're not thinking about yourself, you're not thinking about your kids, you're not even at that point, you're not even really thinking about your kids' kids. You're thinking about your kids' 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 kids. And I wonder how many people care about their kids, 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 kids. I mean, like really it's extremely unlikely that if you simply provide your children a upper middle class existence, uh, you know, neighborhood, school system, access to college and good health care, strong diet, it's very unlikely that the standard of living of your family is even going to drop significantly. Uh, And there's clearly, I think in most of our imaginations, a point where uh, giving uh, your heirs too much money stifles the uh, the drive to make one's own life uh, or mm-hmm. one's own success or one's own fortune. Uh, and right, uh, the Warren Buffett idea. And regardless of that, I mean, they don't. You have all. You barely have a relationship. Like I don't know my great great yeah, grandparents. Most people can't name their parents. 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 Right. So exactly. You're, Kids, kids, kids won't be able to name you either. And, and I think Tori went They one, don't even know your name. I think Tori went one beyond that even. And uh-huh. uh, so, yeah, I mean, you don't know your grandparents' grandparents, which is essentially what I right. think he said. And uh, yeah, I mean, who like I, 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 I'm like not trying to be like uh, edgy. Like I genuinely <laughs> don't know if I care about my grandkids' grandkids. At, like I don't know if I consider – that a significant thing to work for at all. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's your... By that point, you're talking about... You might also be talking, like, even with... You, by that point, you might be talking about, you know, 60 kids, too, 60 people. And yeah. of those 60, some of them are going to be, like, just awful, <laughs> horrible people. You're you're not going to like them. And uh, as it is, you're, what, your grandparents' grandparents already encapsulate 16. So you're one sixteenth of their ancestors and only at one particular moment. So it's not like you're in any way a crucial part of their life. You're one sixteenth of them mm-hmm. and, and only, yeah. and only one, you know, one many thousandths of even that one sixteenth of the line. Cause there were all the ancestors yeah. before you. So genetically speaking, they're probably barely any closer to you than the average person of that future generation. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, it, it, right? It's like like when you find like when you hear the inevitable story, and in, uh, in a, a few months when they'll you'll find out that uh, uh, you know Ted Cruz and Hillary Clinton are actually related, right? And, yeah, but they're like seven seven cousins removed. Yeah, it's uh-huh. that's like you and your kids, kids, mm-hmm. kids, kids. Yeah. So much. so just buy the lawn set. Don't so screw them. Don't save money for them. To certainly don't go to a city you don't like for them. I don't think they would want you to do that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think the Buck Showalter is extremely wise. I mean, we've talked about it. Like, we, I, we had a, I, one of, I think I remember this being one of my favorite episodes, but we, we talked about it a long time ago that the problem is 
that you have to figure out a way to make the rational decision for yourself, which might include taking less money without that money simply going to the owner. Because we don't want the owner to have that money. And you as the player don't want the owner to have that money just because you're willing to sacrifice. Like the owner is not, you're voting. We're, it's back to this. You're voting with your financial decisions and you don't want to vote for the uh, you know billionaire to get your money. So it's all about figuring out a way you know, to, to make a decision that makes you happy uh, while also feeling like you've made a decision that is rational uh, f- for the world and does the most good. And so I, uh, I think that my idea, the, the one I'm alluding to in the episode a long time ago, was that uh, you take a discounted deal with the team, but only on the stipulation that the owner, uh, that the team keeps a, uh, a salary floor uh, that is slightly higher than it otherwise would be so that you know that they're investing that money in players. And then not only do you get to go to the city you want, get enough money to buy the lawn set, uh, but also you're theoretically playing for a team that is even better because you uh, because they have reinvested that money in additional talent. Right. I have yet to top the 12-piece chaise long set. Most expensive treadmill, $2,500. I clicked on boating and water sports. I thought maybe Target would sell boats somehow, but no. Most expensive item is a paddleboard, $1,700. And the most expensive uh, 51 jet outdoor pool and hot tub, only $4,000. So still can't do better than that. Okay. How much do you, wait, wait, wait. How much do you think it would cost to buy all of a target? Right. That's what I was saying. If he, if he gets the 150 million, I wonder if he could walk into, I mean, those are big box stores, a lot of items in a typical target, but uh, he could probably buy a target, buy a branch. So let's say that the average thing at target is $12. Okay. I don't know if it is. Obviously, the things that are cheaper are also going to be stocked more plentifully. But on the other hand, it's the it's got a much longer tail on the upside uh, than than the downside. So let's call it what did I say? 12? Uh Let's call it 1160. Okay. All right. So uh, for $150 million, uh, you could buy 12,900 things that cost (laughs) 1160 each. And I don't think a Target stocks 12,931,034 things. So I, I, I do believe you could buy a Target. Yeah. You can buy a greenhouse at Target for $3,800. Yeah. yeah. And they probably only stock like two of those. <laughs> two greenhouses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The 51 Jet hot tub is only available online. So how many Tim Wallet cards do you think you could get for $150 million? <laughs> More than exist in the world. Do you think so? Yes. I mean, that's assuming that there's no gouge, that, that people aren't gouging you <laughs> right, once they, they figure know out what you're doing. You want all the Tim Wallet cards? Uh-huh. All right. All right. We got a good submission for burning the ships. I wanted to relay. Every now and then we get a, a submission from someone who sees burning the ships being used somewhere, often in a sports team, but not always. Don't always pass them on, but I like this one from Neil who found a Burn the Ships reference in Game of Thrones, A Feast for Crows, the fourth book in the series. And it's a quote from Ariane Martel, who I think is not in the HBO series. There wasn't enough time for her because needed more sand snakes. Everyone likes sand snakes. But she says, On the day they wed, Nymeria fired her ships so her people would understand that there could be no going back. 
Most were glad to see those flames, for their voyaging had been long and terrible before they came to Dorne, and many and more had been lost to storm, disease, and slavery. But the wrinkle that George R. R. Martin adds to this is that the people who didn't want to be there hammered the boats together from the hulks of the burned ships, and they sailed away again, which sort of defeats the purpose of burning the ships if you can just hammer the hulks together and build new ships. Really, I mean, really, as we've talked about, since Burn the Ships is such a misused, almost sociopathic example, and really only should motivate the manager and or owner and never the players. It's just, it's such an anti-player sentiment that really I would love to see a speech, a clubhouse speech built around Hammer the Hulks. (laughs) (laughs) T-shirts that say Hammer the Hulks. Yeah, there's more situations when you... Like, yeah, Hulks. Hulks. H-U-L-K-S. Yeah, yeah Hammer the Hulks. There are more applicable circumstances for Hammer the Hulks. I mean, you lose your best player to injury. You got a bunch of guys on the DL. You hammer the Hulks. You put the team back together with what you still have. I can't remember. Do we mention Burn the Ships in our book? Yes. Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, if you listen to this podcast, you're going to like our book. Or you'll be really bored by it because you've... You've come across all the memes already. All right. Anything else? No. Okay. So we got a listener email a couple days ago, and I was going to add it to our list for the listener email show, but then you responded and said you'd be happy to make it a whole episode. And we don't quite have to make it a whole episode because we've talked about Target for a while. But for the rest of this episode, we can talk about this question from Lillian in Hanover, Germany, who says... How do I explain to my friends who don't like baseball how great Mike Trout is? Living in Germany, my attempts to share fun facts or other narratives about the greatness of the Millville meteorologist have been futile. How would you try to explain Mike Trout's excellence to people who know next to nothing about the game the man is playing? For reference, my friends know what a double play is, and I've tried to explain the significance of statistics in baseball to them, so they are not completely clueless. I think that the thing that makes Mike Trout so pleasing. Uh, There's a couple of things that you could do, and I think we'll talk about a couple of things. But I think the thing that, more than anything else, makes him pleasing to a baseball fan, but also accessible uh, to any sport, uh, to a fan of any sport, is just how good he is at everything. And I, I always go back, I think my favorite Mike Trout moment of his whole career was that day in August of 2012 when I was following him very closely because I was writing about him for the mag. And there was a day which I had been kind of eagerly looking forward to because I thought that it might happen. And I really wanted this detail to happen. And sure enough, there was a day when he led the league. He led the majors in offensive runs added, defensive runs saved, and (laughs) base running runs added. And just, I think that anybody can appreciate a player who is the best at all the facets of the game. And I, I mean, I love talking to, I have a friend who follows all the other sports and, and I don't, and I love talking to him about the other sports and just hearing these stories of, you know, how good other people are, how good these athletes are and other uh, things. And so like one way of being awesome is Sort of, and I know that he's much more than this, but the, the, for simplicity, the Steph Curry model, where he's so good at a thing that you can't hardly understand how good he is at it. And with Curry, it's you know him shooting more three pointers than anybody in history, while also making a higher percentage of them than anyone in history. 
uh-huh. is just such an unfathomable thing and you appreciate how good he is at that one thing. But the other is to just be the best at all of it, to be, you know, like if there was a guy, like Babe Ruth is that. Like one of the things that makes Babe Ruth so good for stories is that he was, you know, he has pitching records. He holds pitching records. Like he's not, he does, it's not just that he pitched. He wasn't just like, you know, Deion Sanders played two sports or whatever. He he has records for pitching while also being obviously the greatest hitter ever. And so for Trout to be, to, to for you to be able to say, well, there are three ways that a baseball player can be good. He can hit, he can field, he can run. And Trout is the best hitter and the best fielder and the best runner, or at least was, is I think pretty cool and pretty easy for anybody to appreciate. And that is no longer true exactly he is no longer the best runner he's no longer the best fielder you know that was just a moment in august but it's also has become less true as he's gotten older but in a way and i don't know if this would would appeal to the fan in the same way but in a way the fact that he has been the best player in baseball in like three or four different ways already that he uh, is constantly changing and still remains the best player in kind of different shapes uh, is to me and I think to us even more enjoyable. Right. Uh, yeah. So there's there's just sort of a, there's a perfection to him. There's an invincibility to him. There is a flawlessness to him where you don't have to understand batting average or you don't have to know how we measure defense. You don't have to know even the rules of baseball. If you just say, well, you know, imagine that the best defenseman in hockey was also the best passer in hockey and was also the best scorer in hockey. Yeah, it's uh, right. Curry, I was going to bring up Curry, but someone like Messi, for instance, I don't I don't watch soccer. I barely pay any attention to soccer, but there was a long 538 feature about Messi and just how much better he is than anyone else. And there was stuff at Grantland about him, too. And I enjoyed reading that because it was sort of statistically done and that kind of approach appeals to me. And yeah, and he was just so much better than everyone else. Like if you don't know anything about the sport, then describing the nuances of his game might not appeal to the person. Like, I don't, you know, talking about his field awareness or something or about how he sees the play as it's developing before anyone else does or something about his technique might not appeal to someone who doesn't care about the technique, but being able to convey how much better he is at that thing than anyone else. I'm interested in that in just about any field. It doesn't have to be sports. If there's a, if there's, I mean, you sent me a, you sent me a Gene Weingarten article the other day about About the best children's entertainer in Washington, DC from 10 years or so ago. And that was interesting. And because he was, so popular and better than everyone else. And that's something that appeals to anyone, even if you're not interested in that specific thing. I think my two favorite uh, depictions of the greatness of people who are just at the top of their field and are a sense of where you are, John McPhee's article and then book uh, about Bill Bradley uh, as a college basketball player and um, the film Jiro Dreams of Sushi. And those those are both instances where my understanding of the craft itself is limited uh, or even less than limited, almost non-existent. Uh, and yet to there is a way of laying out the both players' perfections uh, that becomes very clear. And even if at the end, I don't, I still don't know how to prepare sushi, but I understand the process much better. I understand the challenges of the process much better. Uh, and to see somebody who is just 
dedicated to perfection. And to, I don't know, to see both the ease with which it occurs, but also the challenge of maintaining it, uh, which are kind of, in a sense, contradictory and yet both true at the same time, is extremely satisfying. Uh, I think the other thing about trout that probably is universally understandable and appealing, uh, and it might be a challenge because other there are other sports where this is explicitly not true, but baseball is a sport where you don't usually peak at age 20, 21, 22, 23. And for Trout to essentially be the best player in baseball at an age so far in advance of when baseball players are expected to be able to perform at that level uh, is, uh, is also really rare and part of, I think, what makes us love him so much. I mean, we, like, we would love Trout if these four last four seasons had come from ages 26 to 29 uh you know just as we love you know we love chase utley and we loved um you know other good players who are other good players ben miguel cabrera <laughs> Can't think of any <laughs> we loved miguel cabrera and you know we loved jeff bagwell and we loved you know frank thomas but i think that we at least as baseball fans and again this might not apply to your german friends but i guess i would guess it does we also really, really love extreme ages. We love the old guy who's way better than he's supposed to, and we love the young guy who's way better than he's supposed to for different reasons. Uh, and Trout's age is, I think, undeniably a big part of uh, the story of his career thus far. He's still only 20, what, he's going to be 24 yeah. this year? I mean, he is like essentially right now at the age that like Nomar Garcia Para came up and began playing. I mean, like he's done so, so much uh, and he's just not supposed to be able to do that. And I think people appreciate that. Like I just started, I'm like a one, like four paragraphs into this article about a rock climbing prodigy. Uh, <laughs> this was in the New Yorker about a week ago. And she's, you know, the most talented rock climber in the world, which is cool. I would read that. Like, I'm definitely going to read that no matter what. If you tell me that the New Yorker wrote about the best rock climber in the world, I am completely going to read it. Now you tell me that she's 14, and I'm, like, really excited <laughs> to read it, right? It's a different thing. It's a different story. And uh, so to just be able to say that, like, most baseball players don't even appear in the majors until they're 23. They're usually not at their best until they're 26 or 27. And Trout is just now, you know, playing his age 24 season. Mm-hmm. Um, that he has been essentially playing just as he did when he was a kid. He has essentially been playing in a league for adults while he himself was not yet an adult. Yeah. So that's, you'd have to go that way because the fun fact you were looking for in 2012 no longer even comes close to working. I mean, he he is a different player now. He hits for more power, but he is not going to, he might lead in offensive runs, but he's not going to leave in defensive runs and he's not going to lead in base running runs because he doesn't really steal anymore so he's you know far from a one-dimensional player but not an all-dimensional player to the extent that he was so at this point you would go with either the through age 23 sort of stat like he is the he is the most valuable player through this age ever or whatever the stat is or would you go with the metamorphosis angle he was the best at everything and then now he's totally different, but he's still the best. I guess the evolution kind of angle is interesting. Like people write about Roger Federer, for instance, changing and changing his game and still being 
one of the best players. And I guess in his case, that's more of a compensating for age and declining skills. Whereas with Trout, maybe it's a little bit of that, but it also seems to be a choice to some extent. But it is still interesting that he is still either the best player in baseball or certainly the best player in the league. And he's doing it totally differently than he used to. So that is interesting. So I guess those are both the ways that you would go. I agree that if you could still make the case that he was the best at every aspect of baseball, that would be the most appealing. But since he is no longer that, you could go with the through age 23 or the he's different, but he's still the best. Those are both interesting angles. Mm -hmm. Do you think that Trout translates well to highlights? If you were going to send someone a highlight of Mike Trout to try to convey why Mike Trout is good or that he's the best, what would you pick? And do you think whatever it is would actually encapsulate Mike Trout? If I could use his whole career, yes. I think uh-huh. there, are, there are, you have two extremely rich highlight possibilities. Uh, one is the, uh, you know, the home run stealing. Yeah, like he had that period where he was taking away home runs. I mean, he even he did that last year, right? He had a really he had two, I think, at least maybe last so, year. And I mean, there was one really good one. Okay, so those are always good, and so maybe you still have those. But I don't. I so I maybe. But mm-hmm. uh, there's there was also something about those as a rookie. One, a couple of them were like perfect highlights. They just by chance they were perfectly framed uh, by the act itself. They were. A special even in the genre of stealing home runs and there was this great benefit of him reacting giddily to them yeah. uh, sometimes giddily sometimes in a, seemingly in awe of himself and so those made them very satisfying but yes the home run stealing always plays like home run stealing is like maybe maybe the best highlight that any player can have uh-huh. although he and he has done more than his fair share of home run stealing especially because he's not really known for his outfielding I mean he's a good outfielder but that's probably not the first thing that you would mention about Mike Trout but he does seem to have that distinctive skill or he's just happened to get a lot of balls that were in the perfect position for someone to be able to steal a home run I mean the most it it looks great when anyone does that I mean that's that's a kind of highlight that makes almost anyone look like the best player in baseball. Yeah, Not exactly. if it's the one where you're just like stationary and you hop a little bit, but yeah. if you're actually drifting back and you get some air and maybe you step on the wall or something. I mean, the I think the Gary Matthews home run oh. robbery is probably just the best looking play ever. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if there's anything I'd rather watch than that. Maybe the Jim Edmonds catch, but the Gary Matthews catch is, I mean, that's like... If it's not number one, it's 1A. Yeah, that or the Andy Chavez one. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so that could make anyone look like a superstar. Hang on. I'm watching Andy Chavez. (laughs) Yeah, the the great thing about the Chavez play is that it was like a snow cone. It was like on the edge of the glove. Okay, no, no, Andy Chavez one is not. You're right. Gary Matthews is much better than Andy Chavez. Yeah, Gary Matthews one is amazing. Hang on. I'm watching that one now. Uh, Yeah, there's a still of it, which is enough. (laughs) <laughs> to remember just how here it goes. Oh goodness! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if Lillian sent all his friends in Hanover that play and said Gary Matthews Jr. he's the best at baseball, no one would doubt it. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess the home run robberies in that trout seems to do them more often than anyone else 
makes him look better. I don't. I'm trying look, to think of ben, like a though, thing it's that... not. It's not like your German friends are gonna see a Mike Trout catch and then be like, I don't know, Gary Matthews Jr. was better. Like that's the <laughs> point is that you can show him. You can show him. <laughs> you can him. fool him. I always did think that the Trout one in Baltimore was slightly overrated, but yeah. I also have always thought that overrated conversations are stupid. Right. So forget about that. The other thing that I think no longer necessarily plays as well, but there was something about just seeing Trout run his rookie yeah, year. Right. He was so big and it's always hard to know whether speed is going to be conveyed. I mean, how fast is he going when you don't have a frame of reference there? Yeah. Uh, but I maybe it was only because I knew he was fast that I could project the speed onto the, the picture. But I, I would much rather personally watch video of trout running during his rookie year than even the home run robberies like there's a uh, at one point i did a comparison of who was faster him or pete borges peter borges uh-huh. and i had to do a trout triple gif uh-huh. I-, I could watch that all day i could watch him running the first all day yeah as a rookie and i don't know if he still is that fast but you're right at this point right now what is there it would be Probably the most defining Mike Trout greatness highlight right now, it would be him hitting a home run to, you know, right center. Yeah. Really deep. And yeah. that's probably not going to necessarily play no. all that well. The best Mike Trout greatness thing of the past year, I think, is that he had that glaring hole and everyone was talking about it that he couldn't hit high pitches or high fastballs and. Everyone was throwing him more and more and more. And then people talked about it over the offseason. And he was clearly aware of it. And then he worked on it over the winter. And then he came into this past season and was like one of the best at hitting those pitches. Just because he doesn't really seem to have a weakness that he can't correct. I don't know if that's something that would appeal to someone who doesn't know much about baseball. If you told them he couldn't hit this type of pitch and everyone thought they'd found his vulnerability and started exploiting it. And then he adjusted and was the best again. I guess that's that's kind of interesting, but it doesn't really boil down to a highlight. Yeah, I think it's probably not extreme enough. I think if you could show that he was... It, it, baseball is not the sport that makes this possible, but if you could show that he was the best in the league in all four, like on away pitches, inside pitches, up pitches, and down pitches then I think you could pretty, like with about one or two sentences, you could put that into context and explain how great that makes him. Unfortunately, I, he's not. He's going to be like, you're going to be like, and he's the 34th best hitter on high pitches. And he's like 14th on low pitches and 63rd on away pitches. And they're going to be like 62 people. That's my German, German accent. accent. Yes. Ben really workshopping that one. <laughs> Saving it for just the right moment. Uh-huh. Now you've heard it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> All right. Anything else that you would say about Mike Trout? Would you send his tweets with unusual punctuation? Would you send some of his least interesting quotes? They're almost shockingly uninteresting. No. No. I guess we've covered it. He doesn't work quite as well as, uh, you know, Barry Bonds' stats, I guess. I mean, nothing works as well as that, but... He works as well as anyone else in baseball. I I don't know. His he maybe doesn't have as visually impressive a signature skill at this point as other players. Like if you showed them Carter Caps throwing his hundred and two mile per hour perceived velocity fastball and doing his hop or something, that might be more interesting than anything Mike Trout does, or 
if you showed, I don't know, whoever hits the longest home runs, John Carlos Stanton hitting his longest home run of the season or something, that might be more interesting. Or if you showed Billy Hamilton stealing his fastest base of the season or something like that might be even easier to convey than anything Trout does at this point. But yeah. I mean, to some degree, he's, this is all, you know, always kind of the problem with baseball players getting recognition is that it is not a game where the individual can stand out. There's, it's not like basketball where an entire offense runs through one player every game and, you know, there's only five guys on the floor. It's not like football where, you know, two or three guys on the offense basically control, you know, get all of the stats, get all of the fancy stats. And it's not like soccer where, you know, Messi can score all the goals in a game pretty reliably. Uh, So it's, you know, there's not going to ever be, there's just too many players in baseball. Uh, There's too many players on his own team. There's too many players. There's too few plays that he's starring in. And so it's going to be hard for anything to really stand out. So the, the most of the things that you would say about Trout require you to understand all the context of baseball. I think that, Maybe the the thing that I would say to somebody who is vaguely familiar with baseball, and this is not all that well put together quite yet, but if you just look at his player page, he has led the league in runs, he's led the league in RBIs, he's led the league in steals, he's led the league in walks, he's led the league in slugging, he's led the league in OPS+. plus. Those are all very different, unrelated stats in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and um that he's done all those not in a single year, but spread out over four years. He led the league in runs and steals one year, walks and runs another year, uh, RBIs and runs another year, uh, OPS and OPS plus last year. Uh, And he'll probably lead the league in home runs next year. And he almost, it, it would be cooler, but he almost had a batting title a couple of times. And just to see the variety of ways that he's been the best player in baseball consistently and yet also differently each time uh, is clear, but you do have to know some baseball to understand that. Yes. Okay. Well, it took me the whole podcast, but I have found a more expensive item at Target than the 12-piece Shazlong set. It is the most expensive piece of fine jewelry at Target, which is a one-carat princess diamond solitaire ring in 14-carat white gold. Fifty-eight ninety-nine ninety-nine. Still well within Chris Davis's price tag. Mm-hmm. Okay, Lillian, if any of that advice was helpful, if you start a Mike Trout fan club in Hanover, let us know. If anyone knows of any more expensive items at Target, let us know. You can email us at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. And you can rate, interview, and subscribe to the show in iTunes. Thanks for listening. Please support our sponsor, Play Index, at baseballreference.com. Use the coupon code BP. Get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. And we'll be back tomorrow. My step.